name, Paul Rose. Some of you might know me as Mr. Biffo. I don't know why I've made that intro thing, but whatever. Anyway, <laughs> I'm joined once again on Between You and Me by my dear wife, Sanya. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello to you, Sanya. Hello to you, Paul. Long time no see. <laughs> yeah. Long, so, ti- long, ti- long time no speak about Marillion. Yeah, all of 10 minutes since we recorded the last episode. Which some of you may recall dealt with the impact of Steve Hogarth joining the band on its fragile adolescent fan base. Yeah. Before we begin, though, I've got something else to address. There was one Marillion album we've never talked about. Was there? Was there. It was... An actual album? Yeah, it was B-Sides themselves, the B-Sides collection. Well, but we, we did cover the B-sides. Yeah, but I, I regret think. not covering it because I don't get a chance to do my brilliant joke. Which you're going to do now. Which I, which I came up with <laughs> when I was 16, which was, why don't they release a Greatest Hits album called All Things A-Side? Ha, 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 ha. That's it, actually quite good. Yeah, I know. Isn't it? Why didn't they do that? They had B-sides themselves. Why has no one done that? All Things A-Side. Well, maybe they still can. Too late now. It's not. They can still do it. They're not really a singles band, are they? Doesn't matter. But talking of singles, we tackled Hooks in You and what a shock that was. Mm-hmm. A song which I've literally just read, H claims to have bullied the band into writing. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> which is a very Steve we'll, Hogarth thing to do. We'll, is it? Well... Something I think you can credit H for is pushing the band out of their comfort zone. Ah. He's certainly been responsible for some of their quirkier, less traditional Marillion-sounding songs. Such over as? The years. Such as? Hooks in You and? Hope for the Future. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. You will be. House. House. I, I know I've heard it. I can't off the top of my head. Remember how it goes. Yeah, I think in that respect, it's oh, something okay. that is is possibly something that he doesn't get enough credit for. Is that he's been very good at getting the band at points to experiment and and move out of their comfort zone. Yeah. But whether he did that on this album, well, that's what we're going to discuss this week as we get into season's end. Their first Steve Hogarth album, which, as we established last week, was pretty much two thirds written. By the time H came on board, a lot of the lyrics are written by John Helmer, or at least co-written, because because H would tinkle with with them to make them work for him. Mm-hmm. Because this is one of the things as well. When when he joined Marillion, he was given a, a bunch of fish songs and set, said, "You can choose which ones you want to sing live." It, it's quite interesting. I because because he has sort of said that over the years that he said that he. He has to feel a song in order to be able to sing it, mm-hmm. which is why Fugazi, as an album, he's never really he didn't approached with it. Apart from Cinderella Search, it's something he said at the time. I don't have a problem with Kaylee at all. It's a very easy song to feel when you're singing. Uh, he said they'd be doing Lavender Heart and Lothian live. Well, he said maybe we should ask the Scottish fans what they think. Uh, though it, I am Scottish on my grandfather's side. 
uh, and he was up for incommunicado, warm wet circles that time of the night, and possibly at that point, script for a jester to tear. He said that was one of the last songs we tried. I still don't know if we'll be able to make it work. Likewise, Garden Party, which is a surprise because he sings, he loves Garden Party, clearly does when yeah. he sings it. He says, I don't know about Garden Party, it's difficult for me without impersonating Fish. Um, however, one or two of the old songs they'll have to see Fish for. Oh. Yeah, interesting, eh? Yeah. A couple of things before we get into the album as well. I just want to touch on some early iconography from that era which age brought to the band, which something he's quite famous for back then. He doesn't do it anymore. Was tying bandages around his fingers. <laughs> he used to... Oh. I know, it was a weird thing. Was that like a, an aesthetic It became choice, a good luck or? thing that he'd do before playing live because he was apparently once attacked by a member of his own band while they were playing a cruise ship. And he nearly died. He got he was attacked with a broken bottle and got his fingers all cut up and had to get them bandaged. Ooh. And ever since then, I don't quite know how the good luck thing works. But um, he, had, he maybe his first gig with the bandages on his hand went phenomenally. And then, <laughs> maybe or they're padding just or the in, first just few. in case Pete went ape shit and decided to attack him with a broken bottle with a broken bass. You could see that with a bass string. You could see see Pete going mad and attacking someone with a broken. No, bottle. he's lovely. He would never do that. <laughs> Coming at ya. No. I'll cut ya. Don't say that. Coming at you like a spider monkey. The other thing as well, of course, were 80s magic gloves. Which oh, yeah. were quite a thing, which he often got asked to demonstrate on TV shows. It was because H is a keyboard player, and I'd love to ask Mark Kelly the impact of that. If Mark ever wants to get back to us about doing an interview, I have asked. He's thinking about it. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe he just didn't see the email, maybe ignored the email. Just, yeah, I don't know. More but I would, I would love to know the impact that had on Mark, because suddenly there were two keyboard players in the mm, band. Did uh, it create tension? Well, yeah. Like, oh, I know better than you. Or, or did they have an implicit understanding that this is your territory and I'm not going to encroach on it? Well, yeah, but the gloves were so H could continue to sort of trigger samples and, and bits of rhythm. While while performing, because they built into the gloves were triggers for that would set off certain sounds. Wow! Um, Who invented? Like, where did he get these can't from? Remember, he has said. Was he the only person to have them? Or yeah, yeah, the they were built using, for him. They're unique to him. Yeah. Wow! They were a bit unwieldy. They were quite chunky. They looked like cricket gloves. You know, kind of oh. did. But the other problem was he'd sweat on stage and the sweat would go into the, the electronics and set them off. Oh, no. So that's why now he has his Spinal Tap-inspired cricket bat. He's got he's got the, the pads built into the cricket bat instead Isn't of the gloves. Isn't that clever? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, so anyway, season's end. Yes. Released 25th of September. I'm sorry? <laughs> Didn't quite catch the date. Okay. I stumbled over my words. 25th of September, 1989. I remember hearing it for the first time very clearly. I bought it from Our Price, as I generally did in those days, on cassette, mm. as I generally did in those days. Because I couldn't be trusted with vinyl. I'm not, I'm not a tidy collector, shall we say. Which is why my friends and I used to refer to my version of Grendel as Grendel, scratch, scratch, Grendel. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? I dropped it once outside my parents' house, Market Square Heroes 12 inch. I digress. Uh, I was with, funnily enough, I was with my mate, the same mate that I sent home when I wanted to, oh. to buy Clutching at Straws, my mate Phil. 
Uh, and I, I was out and we went for Burger King for lunch. And once again, I was incredibly rude to him because um, he had a no. he had a Sony Walkman with him, and I said, "Can I listen to it, please?" So I sat there listening to Season's End in Burger King, <laughs> and ignoring him. Well, I wasn't completely ignoring him; I was giving him a running commentary. Wow! Uh, <laughs> I gave him a running commentary. <laughs> wow! I, I didn't listen to the whole thing. I listened to I think King most of King of Sunset Down, as I had to hear H's voice kick in. Yeah, and there's two minutes of song before H starts singing. Uh, was released as a CD version as well, which was it their first album on CD? No, it wasn't. I think I think Clutching had come out on CD, but the CD version had After Me on it, which the rest, the vinyl and the cassette versions didn't. So After Me was just purely a B side for right. most people. Oh, it was like a bonus track because you mm. could fit more music on a CD. And so, what was your first impression then? Hang on a minute. I've oh, got there's some facts first. Sorry, I just want to know what your first impression was. Get to the meat. It was produced by a guy called Nick Davis, who had been an engineer on Clutching at Straws. This was, I think it might have been the first album he produced. They obviously got on with him on Clutching, but he later went on to produce albums by Genesis, uh, uh, which might be the last time you hear that mentioned. <laughs> we haven't heard that for a while. We haven't heard Genesis. Well, yeah, we certainly, you know, we Another thing about, about H, he doesn't clutching. sound like Gabriel or Collins in the slightest. So had a first cover that didn't, well, this is not strictly true because it did feature some Mark Wilkinson artwork, but it was a cover, it was a kind of photographic collage by Bill Smith Studios, who they collaborate with on album covers for a while. Now, I know Sanya is looking at this cover going, oh, I can't see any Mark Wilkinson. Zoom into each of those four images. Earth. I mean, I think I have a very it's earth, low fire res. and water. Do you get that? No, I thought it was meant to be winter, so summer, got, spring, and you've got a but, chameleon against the oh, fire. That, my, um, it's so low resolution that I don't, I can't see very okay, well. well this what's is inside this is well set up. Remember when I told you to call it up on your laptop? I can't zoom in on the laptop though. Don't need to on there. My eyes, my eyes. Okay, so in each of the there's four uh, there's four panels each representing earth, air, fire, water, right? In one, you've got the chameleon. Yes. Another, you've got a magpie's feather. Is that what that is? Yes, that's what that is. Oh. You've got the jester's hat, just the, dropping out of frame. Yeah. The air one. And the last one, the, the water one, that painting's on the cover of Fugazi, of the clown. I see. The backdrop to it is mm. is a rough sea, which is interesting because H has long joked that Marillion mainly writes songs about death and water, <laughs> <laughs> which they have written a lot of songs about yeah. death and water. I already know of two from this album. Well, water. Yeah. Well, maybe. Maybe not on the album. Uh, not on the album. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's not on the album. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. So they kept the original logo, not the slightly redesigned one from Clutching at Straws. So that was reassuring. Kind of reassuring that there are elements from past albums, but it did, did bother me. What bothered it you felt about? Like, it felt like sort of appropriating the imagery that Fish was responsible for, but in a way that wasn't kind of conceptual, just slapping it in there as a, a sop to the fans. 
Mm. But it bugged me. So it's kind of like, it's still all the stuff that you love. Yeah. Sort of, just smaller. Yeah. It just felt a bit, I don't know. You felt like it was using fish... Not fish himself, but yeah, fish's imagery. Without understanding as... the intent behind those images, right? Yeah. They're, they're so closely associated with the fish era. And fish, yes, yeah. yes. As a cover on the whole, that's all right. I mean, oh. I'm not going to give my opinion because I would love to have an album cover that I really love. And so far, I have not loved any of them. And look... Look, it's just better I don't say anything. <laughs> it's better I don't say anything. You know, at this point, I prefer script for a Jester's Tear cover to this. Well, I think they have got some good covers coming up. And I'll, I hope so. I think so. there are going to be some that you quite like. I hope so. And I also hope you like the colour brown because there's a lot of that. It's my least favourite colour, so <laughs> yay. <laughs> Lots of brown. Everyone's favourite. Brown alien. So let's get into the album. So I, the first track, King of Sunset Town. Uh, what I will say is it's a Helmer Hogarth mashup lyrically. Uh, first track on the album that I heard in that Burger King. I was hopeful. I rushed home from Burger King with a spring in my step, eager to hear the rest of it, because to me it sounded brilliantly. Well, that's a positive response. Well, yeah, it had that sort of slow build intro, a bit like Hotel Hobbies. Mm -hmm. You know, the bass kind of chiming and the guitar doing its sort of runs and you've got the keyboard textures. It felt like Marillion. I want to know what you think of King of Sunset Town. Like you said as well, I love the intro with all the tingles and everything. Um, And then the big opening where it all comes to life. I I thought um, the music just sounded so big and fresh and alive. And I think because it was the first song, I certainly noticed the contrast. Like I really noticed how H's singing was completely different to Fish. And and then because I've heard H songs before, I was like, oh, I've missed H. <laughs> okay, we're trying to ignore the future for the moment. I know, but I can't help it. I was like, oh, I haven't heard him for so long. Um, yeah, I, the the contrast stood out in how strong and smooth and velvety his voice is. His guy is. It's velvety is his voice. Yeah, um, and that I wasn't getting any sense of anger or searing pain. Uh, or, or any of those kind of like depressing emotions coming through. This is from this. I hadn't looked at the lyrics or anything. So I wasn't, I was just listening to the overall, is my overall impression of the song. Um, a lot of, a lot of subtlety of emotion coming through and just like, a, like a huge range of expression. It didn't seem like kind of like anger or Ur, pain. So then I was thinking like, I was trying to, so it was because it was the first song I was comparing the most. I think we're not going to do this beyond this this episode. No, I would. But I, I won't. think because this is what yeah. people were doing at the time. Yeah. And because we've gone in chronological order, I yeah. think it's okay to go with this. 
what's it like in comparison to fish but just to let people yeah. know we're not going to do that i won't I because wouldn't we want to put because, that to bed yeah exactly and they're completely different people yep. but it was they're completely different singers and you know they're their own they're their own artists it because it was the first song after listening to clutching at straws and all the fish era albums that did come to mind mm. so I was trying to figure out, because it's like I love Fish and I loved his music and the albums. I really did. And then I thought maybe it was kind of like Fish came across as sort of like a minimalist abstract painting. Like, you know, the one with the cubes with the, Mm. uh, is it Mondrian? Yeah. Whereas H came across as more like Matisse with the subtle colours and stuff. Or... Maybe a better way to explain it is like fish would remind me of a gourmet burger meal, like gourmet burger and chips. You can still like it's delicious, but the flavors are kind of really bold and they are what they, well, not what they are, what they are, but they're kind of, I don't know. And you eat more. It's more like he's like eating out of a trough (laughs) as opposed to eating with a knife and fork. I didn't see it as much that way, but it was more like H I saw as like an exotic laxer or something. I thought you were so, say laxative. No, no, you know that you know that um is it Indonesian soup or Malaysian soup with coconut milk mm, and okay. spices and lemongrass and all that kind of stuff in it. So it it's kind of a bit more exotic, complex. You're making me hungry. S- sorry. That's what stood out. It's like I love both, but there seemed to be more of a kind of subtlety. There is in his voice. And I think, listening to this, we're trying not to have knowledge of the future, but we can't pretend completely. I think his voice has got better because it's got, it's matured. And I think he, he's even more complex as a vocalist. Mm. There's a lot of high range going on in much similar way that Fish used to in his early days. And his voice has deepened ever so slightly now. And I think it suits it even better. Mm. But... um yeah, he, compared to Fish, I'm going to say it, he's a better singer, Fish, than yeah, Fish. Yeah, he's a stronger singer. He's a better fit singer than Fish. That's not to take away what Fish has. No, and I which didn't, is, yeah. Which is character. Yeah. Fish absolutely has character and can embody those songs. But H, te- on a technical level, isn't just a better singer. He's just on another planet. Yeah, he's, I mean, and it's unfair to compare them in a way because Fish was very much a poet and a an artist in a different way. Whereas H is just, I don't, you can't even, it's like, what on earth? Why is he not kind of playing Stadiums. the Super Bowl or whatever? Mm. I don't, I can't think of like the biggest thing that I can think of because his voice is unreal. But it, it's, it is, and yet it doesn't sound like anyone else. No. He's yeah. got a completely unique voice. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. No one sings like him. No. It's really strange. It's a really unusual voice. Mm. Technically, in, incredibly, uh, you know, incredibly good, but at the same time, completely its own thing. It's and, so unique. And yeah. I won- I, I've wondered whether it held them back again, you know, when we talked about that a lot last time, because it's sort of so quirky, his voice and the way it, you think he that sings. Would, why would that hold them back? I That's like I a have brilliant asset. I have wondered. Really? Mm. Yeah, so that was my main, my first impression was going into there, not just listening to the song for mm. what it was. Um, 
only really did that with the first couple of songs and then yeah. and then I just let go of the past a bit more. What I will say, because we're not quite doing this in the same way we did with Fish, partly because, uh, uh, frankly, the songs are generally less personal on this album. Yeah. So we're not going to go into the same depth lyrically yeah. as we did with Fish because with Fish we were certainly documenting what he was going through It was such via a, his lyrics. It was such a personal story mm. a journey it was his journey yeah. where he was at that stage of his life and that was interesting to sort of dig into and it, it here with with the h era i think it takes a while for h to gain the confidence to to kind of get his soul down in a song maybe to but let his guard down possibly yeah and i know i'm generalizing about the album here i don't, i think there are elements here where he is being very personal, but he's still guarded, I think, mm. when he does it. Um, but I just wanted to jump in before we get into the rest of it and mm. just sort of say, for me, it's coming off the back of Clutching at Straws, an album that I love that was for a long time my favourite Fisher album. But coming from that to this, my God, they sound energised. The whole band. Yeah. They, that thing about Rothers saying that you felt a weight had been lifted or it was a relief. You can hear it. Mm -hmm. They sound new. Yeah. They really sound like they're having fun and mm. reveling in being Marillion yeah. here. And in a way, King of Sunset Town and the rest of the album, even though it's still got one foot very much in the Fish era, because a lot of it was written while Fish was still in the band, there are... Uh, hallmarks here which they build upon for the future and I think you can sort of see that this really even though we've had those four albums that were one version of Marillion this you can really see that this is kind of going no actually this is who Marillion are I think and you know as it has been for 32 years mm. and it's almost like they're they're uh, wow, we've got the space now to be ourselves the space oh, <clears throat> pun not intended oh yeah <laughs> but we can finally breathe and we can what's really i think telling is that the person they got to replace fish is a fellow musician not a singer stroke writer oh. and i think they can all communicate in the same language oh so do you think he understands the other band members maybe a bit better because he is a musician i don't know possibly because fish he couldn't communicate that way. Mm. And it, it's telling as well in the vocal melodies that H uses that they're much more musical. They are, yeah, that's Whereas true. Fish, that's Fish, true, yeah. Fish is almost like a sort of blunt instrument. Yes. He attacks the songs. I think that's what I meant with the burger and chips yeah. versus the exotic laxative. Yeah, stuff. I don't know what that is. It's, it's really a, delicious. A, a Taiwanese laxative. Um Probably is. It's not. <laughs> so it's like fish was. Oh God, I'm actually going to use a swimming analogy with fish. Fish was swimming against the tide, <laughs> whereas H is swimming with it. Yeah, I can. I yes. When now that you're saying it, I never really thought of it that way, but that really fits. That's how it feels That's, to me on this album. They're they're all going in the same direction. Uh -huh. Yeah, they're swimming together. Yes. And I think it's just telling even just on that opening track, which I'm going to say, I love King of Sunset Town. 
and I did then and I still do now uh I think they've done better songs since but in 19 you know it's it's, it's very of its era it's got that uh, late 80s production going on mm. but it's a great song and it's a great live song as well yeah yeah, it's a good song. I mean, it wasn't one of my favourites on the album, but... Um, Get out. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like it. I do I do like it and I do enjoy it. I, I don't know what it's about. Or can I tell you what I think it might be about? Yes. This is, this is probably going to be so wrong and so hilarious. Um, something to do with the tragic guy who runs a fun fair and people, <laughs> and people who live and work for the fair. <laughs> that's your best that's your best theory yet (laughs) so when when he sings watch a big wheel turning round you think he's talking about the fun Watch the big wheel turning round. Yeah, some go up and some go down. I'm on the waltzer. This is fun. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh dear, hook a duck. No, it's not about that. Whoa, <laughs> mind blown. And I can tell you what it was originally about because before H got involved, mm. John Helmer. It was a song. John Helmer lived in Brighton, and he he uh, he says it was about a homeless guy who was a kind of, this is quite a fishy sort of concept, actually. Uh, a homeless guy who who was a sort of witness to various big historical events. Oh. And the big wheel apparently refers to, to King Lear. Is a, the wheel represents society, then it turns. Uh, oh, wow. I was, I was so <laughs> Yeah, not wrong. about fair at all. I was so wrong. No, but the life... The life at the fun fair, tragic guy who runs the fun fair, and all the people who live and work for it as they travel around the country. No, <laughs> no. How wrong? But How wrong? It's that even was. it's even more wrong than that. Oh boy! Because when H got it, um, when they were writing it, the Tiananmen Square massacre happened in China. If you remember that, yes, when I do. Yeah. Two hundred fifty students, something like that, were, were killed and. Uh, it might be more than that, actually. It might have been thousands. But they, you know, and that, that news footage of a student facing down a tank. Mm-hmm. And so that's what H rewrote it to mean. Um, the Puppet King um, on the 4th of June, which is when the massacre happened. Ah. He's written it about. Yes. And then when he says before the 27th came. I've no, I don't, do not. you know what? I don't know. Do you know what? Fraser Marshall, I'm going on your website right now. Oh, yeah. Let's plug Fraser Marshall's website because one thing I have been, now that we finished the fish era, I've been loving going back through his posts about all the old fish, fish era songs and seeing their meanings. Yeah. Uh, let's have a look. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I have always wondered. Fourth of June. Before the 27th came. Right. The 27th Army. The Chinese 27th uh, Army. Wow, now I know. I should have looked that up before. Sorry, Fraser. Um, I've done it now. <coughs> yeah, so... Um, yeah, that's what it was about. I, I'll be honest. 
I don't love the lyrics. They're fine as part of the song and I love the yeah. singing. The lyrics are sort of so, perhaps because they're a cut and shut job of two different, or songs about two different things. Mm. That it isn't entirely clear that that's what this is about. It sort of mentions... Oh, not some, clear at all for me. Yeah. It mentions some sort of dates and numbers, but I uh, I always, you know, and I knew that's sort of what it was about mm. because I think I'd read in interviews, but at the same time, I kind of go, well, who's the ragged man who came shuffling through? Butterflies from all around, settled on his paper crown. I don't know. Uh, but then, you know, then you go pretty sight seemed to be an avenue of eternal peace. But he said, what is here can soon burn down on the king of sunset town. Yeah. Some go thirsty, some just drown. I kind of, yeah, you know, drowning in wealth. Some mm. going thirsty. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing that we're going to struggle with. This is absolutely no disrespect to John Hellman whatsoever, who I think has written some great lyrics. I'm more interested in what H has got to say as the, the front man of the band in the same way that I was with Fish. I want to know what's going on for H. Mm-hmm. I don't really know who John Helmer is and I don't really want to know or care. That sounds awful. Now I'm saying it out loud, but that's the truth. I'm trying to, I'm laying my cards on the table and kind of going, I'm less interested when it's a Helmer lyric in terms of getting into it. We will, we'll do that. You know, and I know H has, has sort of bolted himself onto the song. But I think as well, when we were talking last time about things that, that potentially lost them fans. I mean, this album did all right. It got to number seven That's in the charts. amazing. Yeah, I lower than Clutch of Straws, but it's all right. It got to number seven. But clearly there were there were knock-on effects in terms of, we know, yeah, Marillion know as well, that they, they never again ascended to the heights of Misplaced Childhood and Kaylee or even Clutching of Straws. But you're coming to the band now from a place where they were very lyrics driven, where Fish fronted the band, in his words, as a writer who sings. Yeah. And here we have the new guy turn up. Yes, he's an amazing singer. Yes, he can play keyboards. But the message you're sending is he can't write lyrics. Hmm. And I thought, I think... And do you think that's because John Helmer was writing a lot of the lyrics or because they no, were No, 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 you've misunderstood me. You've misunderstood me. That's, oh. I'm saying I'm being literal. That's literally what happened. Right. You know, they... That's the... I'm talking about the message. You know, it doesn't matter. They brought no, John I'm Helmer asking, in. is that why people were thinking that? Well, I don't know. I can't... I'm just speculating. Right. I don't know for everyone. But in terms of that pile of things that might have counted against age. And all of these were not fair because, you know, as he has proven over time, he absolutely was the right man mm-hmm. to bring in. Yes. Without a shadow of a doubt, mm. uh, they couldn't have got someone better. On, on both the singing front and the lyrical front. And the musical front. And the musical front. As to say again, amazing lyricist now. But the message you were sending was because I was trying to think what was it about fish he he had a very strong male energy yes right he did. which clearly appealed to a certain type of fan and you bring in a guy who actually is quite feminine in a lot of ways he's got sort of well, certainly then had quite elfin features uh he's got a very emotive way of singing mm-hmm. um, and so it was a lot of change to take in and then on top of that 
he wasn't the, the, the uh, writing all his own lyrics in the way that Fish was. And, and the I'm intensely sure personal lyrics that the Fish, Fish was. And theatrical. So it, it's this album comes across as, and I, I, I'll get into the rest of it. I do like, I love the album actually overall, but it is a much less personal album than what has gone before. Yeah. And you cannot discount how appealing that was to the Marillion audience then. We loved how personal Fish's albums with the band were. Mm. And and as amazingly confident as this album is and as energised as they sound, that's gone in this album. Mm. It comes back in later albums, but by then it, it is for at least a chunk of the audience too late. But I mean, I have to say, I relate to that because I came to this album and I was, you know, I listened to it. Okay, great. Kind of didn't feel that full connection that you do get with Fish, wasn't he? When he's being so raw, you can't help but connect with him emotionally. And because pretty much nearly all the songs are, are about, seem to be, seem to be, because I don't know yet, we haven't talked about it, about outside circumstances Mm. And other people, it's hard to have that kind of direct connection, that direct yeah. emotional connection that you do get with fish, even if it's depressing you and leaving you feeling down for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's powerful. It's still it's powerful on a on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And here, you've got one man singing someone else's words. Yeah, uh, for for uh, all but three songs on the album. Yes, there are some songs that he's adapted, but for the for broadly speaking, he's singing someone else's words, which I find a bit weird that they didn't give him the option of just, you know, look, let's have six more months, write lyrics for all the songs. But then that would have been, that would have been maybe too much pressure. Mm. I think they did the right thing. I mean, okay, maybe not in the eyes of the fans, but on a, in an energetic way, giving him a chance to put down roots at his own pace and not go from not being in the band to sort of just like being completely open and raw and vulnerable lyrically. Mm. I think I think it was a wise decision and perhaps because they they did it like this more gradually the roots were able to go deeper and mm. strengthen and he's been able to last longer. Maybe Maybe. And I guarantee you there was a big chunk of the audience that didn't care. Mm. Some that probably didn't even know that H didn't write all the lyrics. Yeah. I mean, musically, love it. Yeah. I'm not saying the lyrics are bad. I'm just saying... No, I I'm not saying they're I, bad. Yeah. But they there is a thing. As, it's yeah, like when I can't we, even put it into words. When we immersed ourselves in Misplaced Childhood and Clash of Stores, we got affected emotionally. That's because there's something baked into the emotion of those lyrics and that delivery and those songs. Mm. And then you mixed it with the music. Yeah. And it was incredibly powerful. Now, as strong as this album is, it lacks that power. Yes. That is almost intangible and and semi-mystical. Yeah. I don't want to be yeah, too woo-woo about no, it. No, but that's you've put the nail you put the nail on the head. You've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> balanced it on my head <laughs> um that's it it's intangible yeah mm. yeah and that's what this album lacks slightly mm. yes um however 
a strong start, I think. For sure. For H. I think it was it's an excellent start for but, H. No question, they lost fans. Mm. Shall we move on to uh, Easter? Yes. Which was also a single, which was released a long time after the album came out because they held it back for Easter the following year. Oh, wow. (laughs) So the first... No, the album came out in September, you said? The album came out in September, yeah. And then they didn't release Easter until... Whoa. March the next year. Okay. 1990. That's patient. It was released in a, a big sort of poster cover that folded out with a cross on it crucifix (laughs) 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 scary so um so this is one of steve hogarth's fire bucket songs Ah. this is this is yes one of the one of the songs written after h joined the band but also written before he found marillion now does that is that only the lyrics or did he no, bring the music with him the as music, well? music, which I think they then oh, worked up. Oh, right. Oh, he brought the music too. Mm. Oh. Okay. So, Sanya. Do you want to hear? Okay, so. Yeah, I do want to hear what you've got to say. I, I love Easter. And um, so I was still comparing a little bit when I was That's listening okay, to it. That's okay, we can do but that. But I didn't, I didn't start off comparing it. I was listening to it, walking along going, oh, I love the guitar in the beginning. Um, and then it hit me. It was like, whoa, this, you know, they sound like a completely different band here. Is this the same band that made She Chameleon and The Last Straw? Yeah, made She Chameleon five years earlier. Yeah, it was like, whoa. A, 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 acoustic guitar again on a Marillion song. It was, a folk it was, song. It was like they sounded really different to me in that, listening to that for the first time. And what surprised me even more, <laughs> this is because after listening to Misplaced Childhood and Clutching at Straws, I hadn't looked at the lyrics. I didn't really know what he was saying. I was walking along and I'm like, I was feeling hopeful and optimistic. <laughs> and I was like, I'm, I'm feeling uplifted and optimistic listening to Marillion. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I'm not feeling depressed for like two weeks after listening to this. Um. Yeah, it clutching at straws. We've mentioned it several times. You know, got me feeling down for several days. Misplaced childhood was oh, well. Let's not even talk about that. But um, yeah, I was just like, what on earth? I'm actually feeling optimistic and hopeful and uplifted. The for me, it's a really strong two song intro to the album, and that even after you know, okay, the King of Sunset Town is. Um, the topic that it purports to be about isn't necessarily it's not, happy. Yeah. However, it's still got the, those kind of upbeat melodies yeah. and, and the music, it, it's uplifting. Yeah. And then Easter, even more so. Yeah, exactly. And it's like... Um, it's a really confident start to the album, those two. Boom, boom. It is, I isn't think. it? I think so too. Yeah. So then 
you know, when I looked at the lyrics, it's like, okay, maybe it's not that, <laughs> like, um, lovely and hopeful and uplifting. Well, you may be wrong. I might be wrong? Mm. Okay. All right. So, because, like, I don't, um, I can't say, for, it sounds like it's about something that happened, a historical event. Um, I was kind of connecting threads, and I remembered you mentioning that they'd written a song on a similar thing theme to the forgotten sons and then he mentioned um our sailing out of the port of liverpool bound for the north of ireland and so i'm guessing that it's about um the is it called the easter uprising easter rebellion or easter rising in in ireland in the beginning of well last century it, it's or not no i don't think it's about anything any one specific event I don't oh, quite okay. know why it's called Easter. Oh. I'll be honest. I know that H, he named it Easter as a tribute to um, his favourite poet, Yeats. Or Yeats? How's it, how do you pronounce Y-E-A-T-S? I thought it was, I always thought it was Yeats, but... Yeats. Yeat! <laughs> so, the millennial poet, yeah. Yeat. Um, so yeah, he, he wrote a poem called Easter 1916. Uh, and well, yeah, that's when the uprising happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the rising. But yes, he did. But I don't think this song is specifically about that. Oh. Because I know what H says it's about. Oh, I see. Um, okay. Well, then I'll shut up and I'll let you. Well, let's just talk about me. music and everything for a minute. Yeah. Because. I mean, can I just, before we move on, can I say. It's interesting that it's called Easter and Easter's about resurrection and new life and some and stuff like that. Mm. And this is the first album with H. Mm. So there's a kind of symbolism there. Oh, rebirth. Yeah. Uh, back from the new dead. New life. Ooh. And the music does sound mm. like the band is blossoming. Yeah. Yeah. It really does this song. Uh, <laughs> it's a song that they once said that they never felt they could do a gig without playing it. That it was it was kind of the H era Kaylee. Even oh. though it was never a bigger hit as Kaylee. I think it right. got to number thirty four in the charts when it was a single. But it's got that oh God, it's lovely. The the guitar, the acoustic stuff, the folk kind of first half and then the second half with the doo 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 doo. You know, the, oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Oh, the I... build, which is so Marillion yes. for me. That is absolute perfect example of what Marillion do best. Yeah. It's particularly H-era Marillion. It's upbeat. It's sing-along. Yeah. It, it's it's hopeful, as you said. Um, and it's also gorgeous musically. And H is even not singing words, which he isn't for a big chunk of that second half. He's he's singing sounds. Mm. He's doing doo-doo-doo. Uh, and yet... That bit got stuck in my head this week. Uh, there was two songs on the album which gave me earworms, and it was that was one of them, that bit. Well, that and bumworms. <laughs> Unnecessary. Wow. But um, can I just... While we're on, the, on that part, can I just um, add one thing that that came to mind is like in fish era i'd get earworms from the chart like they he did chant along songs yeah, yeah. whereas 
H era, they're more sing along. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't love it as much as some Meridian fans. I think maybe it, it got played to death live. Right. And I got a bit sick of it. But having rested it and when they play it now, I love it. I absolutely love it when they play it live because, I don't know, it's put your arms around your mate next to you, sway back and sway forth. Sway to the music. Yeah, and it's it's shockingly different to what they were doing just a couple of albums before. It's shockingly different to yeah. Fugazi. And yet, it sounds like Marillion to me. Even yes. though it was a song that H pretty much wrote before joining the band. As he said, he was trying to rewrite the Sky Boat song, which you know, because it's the theme music to your favourite show, Outlander. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Bound for the north of Sky. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. that's He said he was trying to rewrite the Sky Boat song. So that's why it's got that Easter. Oh, it's the same kind of melody. Nice. I have to give him props as well for the lyrics when, when he wrote, um, what will you do? Make a stone of your heart. Will you set things right? Will you tear them apart? Isn't that really lovely? I really love the lyrics. There's another... This is why I wish he'd written more on the album. I wish he'd written more too. Yeah, because when you told me which songs H had written, I was like, oh, right, oh, interesting, because yeah. so those songs have certain lyrics that are my favourite on the album. Same. A tattered necklace of hedge and trees. Yes. God, that's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah, isn't that, like, picturesque? That's proper poetic. Mm. A ghost of a mist was on the field, the grey and the green together. The noise of a distant farm machine out of the first light came. It's nothing like fish would write. It's so much more gentle, isn't it? Gentle, but also... But it's just as picturesque. Picturesque, beautiful imagery. So H describes this as a love song for the people of Ireland. The regular, ordinary people who get caught up in conflicts. That's that's how he's always introduced it. And so it's... It's about the troubles, but not specifically. It's about ordinary people who are just trying to get on with their lives. Which is kind of, I can see the connection with Forgotten Sons. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's got, it's almost the antithesis. It's not angry. It's not. It's about, it's, it's got love. Yeah. Oh, is there so much, is there so much love to hide? Yeah. That's so H though, isn't it? Oh, isn't it? He's so soppy. (laughs) The <laughs> big soppy ape of <laughs> you silly man making us all cry yeah so yeah what a great song yeah it's a it is a Meridian classic it is yeah for sure yeah um, and I'm not even and it's a song that I didn't love for years because I'd heard it so much but it is a Meridian classic but on upon first hearing oh coming back to it now it's like oh so good yeah, no, but I mean, upon the first time you oh, I listened loved it. to it, I loved before it, you'd heard it played a million times. Well, I loved. I, for me, the thing that stood out was Rothers playing acoustic guitar, because I think I would, because when I first heard After Me, which had the acoustic guitar in it, and it was like, oh, thank God, Rothers is playing acoustic guitar. I'd always wanted them to not just have the 
the constant electric thing, or mm. at least at some point I've decided I think I'd love to hear Marillion do something acoustic. And so after me was like, yes. And then this was again, yes. Ah. Yeah. Nice. But it, it's got the hallmarks. It's it's H with some lovely lyrical imagery, singing about love. Uh, all right, it's, it's slightly abstract love in a broad way, not against one person, but against a whole people. Mm-hmm. And yet it does that. It's got an amazing guitar solo from Brothers. Mm-hmm. God, one of his best, without a doubt. And then it's just got that build. Yes. Mm. I'll tell you what is di- different as well on this album. Two songs that fade out. They both fade out at the end. They don't come to ah. a stop or blend into the next one. They fade out, which ah. is a relatively new thing. I'll have to listen out for that Yeah. next time I listen to it. So, single number two is the next track. The Uninvited Guest. Correct. It was a single. Yeah. Do you want to know what it got to? Yeah, sure. Well, it got to number 54. The second single, that ain't so good, is it? It was released in the November, so a couple of months after the album came out. Would you have chosen this as a sing- as a second single to release? I wouldn't release? have chosen Hooks and You as a first single, and I certainly wouldn't have chosen this as a single. In fact, I wouldn't have put this on the album. I don't like you know, Uninvited Guest. There you go. You've said it. I don't like Uninvited Guest. I like Hooks and You. I don't like Uninvited Guest. It's boring. Mm, it is a bit. I remember the single being um, reviewed on... I can't remember the show. I want to say Pop Quiz, because I seem to remember the show being hosted by Mike Reed, who also did Pop Quiz. But it was on BBC One, and this single got reviewed. It was like panels of pop stars would review other songs. Oh, right. Uh, oh, I'd watch that. Yeah, they played the, they played the video, and then... Um, and I remember Muriel Gray. I don't know if you know her. She's a Scottish um, peroxide head, spiky peroxide head presenter. I might know if I saw yeah. her. Uh, and I remember they played it and she said, and the audience gasped when she said this, she said, I think mediocrity should be a crime and that is mediocre. Ooh, and the worst thing was, I couldn't, I couldn't disagree. I couldn't disagree. I think it's a really mediocre song. Yeah, I'm, I agree. I mean, my notes, I didn't write much about it. I wrote, nice guitar, nice keyboard, nice music, but unfortunately I don't love it. The most impressive thing about the song for me is the first time that H sings cuckoo and he makes it sound like an actual cuckoo. And I just thought, <laughs> I thought that's skill well, and was st- really impressed by it. On stage, he uses, well, either his gloves or his cricket bat, where he, he at the end he presses a finger against a pane of glass or one of the other band members and it goes cuckoo. Oh, cool. Which is quite cool. Look, I quite like it live. Right. Okay, it's got a bit of a bounce. It's not one that I go to the toilet during necessarily. Because oh. uh, it's it's rocky, it's a bit up-tempo, it's a bit of fun. At least that's how it sounds until you know what it's about. Yeah. Um, okay, what I will say is it kind of works in the context of the album. Having had the two songs that we've had, here we go, bit of a party. It sort of works in, mm-hmm. the, in the flow. Right. Sort of, for me. Yeah. But I can see that it's just beige. It's just it's, beige. It's not. It's not okay. What... This is as I was listening. I had I had my parameters, which were 
would I skip this if it was on a playlist on shuffle? Yeah. Yeah, I probably would. Yeah, and I I would. Oh, I haven't this time. I've had to listen to it and I still... It doesn't mean I, I dislike it. It just means I wouldn't necessarily go and search for it to listen to mm. specifically. It's just... just it's, it's uh, okay. It's okay. That's what it is. It's not it's, terrible. It's okay. As much as I don't like the way Muriel Gray said what she said, it's mediocre. Yeah. It's very... It's just a bit nothing. Mm. I'm, so, I'm really sorry to everyone who likes it because I know when they play it live... It seems to get a good reception, but I can live without it. I can just live without it. I would have put, uh, there's two, at least two songs on this album that I would have taken off and put the B-sides on. And this is one of them. I would have, ironically, I would have got rid of Uninvited Guest and put its B-side on there instead. What was its B-side? Bed in the Sea. Also, it's uh, lyrically got digging about fish in there. Does it? Uh Uh-huh. You missed that, didn't you? Yes, I did miss that. Lyrically, this is another H. Elmer. I'll try saying that as a less of a tongue twister. It's a Hogarth Helmer collaboration, which John Helmer originally sent the lyrics in. And he said that it was a song about AIDS. Oh, I thought I was trying to figure it out. And I thought it might have been about addiction. Mm. It's I think, well, H has certainly adapted it. I find it a bit odd that um, well, I've, 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 I've got a quote somewhere here. Um, I don't know who this which member of the band. One member of the band said, we did get to a point in the album when we were beginning to feel it was all bit, getting a bit too intense. We tried to inject a nose of humour with the uninvited guest. So that's that's why they wrote it. However, John Helmer's original intention was it was about the stigma of AIDS. Yeah. And how do you inject humour? Into, I mean, I'd, I didn't really yeah. get a humorous vibe from it. Well, like, as I said, I thought it was about addiction. If you read the lyrics, it, they, they fit perfectly. I'm the evil in your bloodstream. I'm the rash upon your skin. Yeah. Which is very, uh, he knows you know, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. But then there's, then it sort of all gets a bit whimsical, I think. I'm the 13th at the table, banquo at your banquet, cuckoo in your nest. Well, yeah, but if you... Okay, 13th at the table, isn't that Judas, the betrayer? Yeah. Banquo is from a Shakespeare play. Well, yeah. I can't remember who All that was. bugged me, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, and the again, cuckoo pushes the... I'll tell you why it bugged me. It felt like them trying to be a bit well-read and sounding like fish. Whoever wrote those words. Is that what you think the dig is? No, I know. No, the dig's far more direct than that. Oh. Uh I'm your 15 stone first footer. A first footer is a Scottish tradition on New Year's Eve where the first footer is the people who first come into your house on the new year. However, the original lyric was I'm your 18 stone first footer, which Steve Rothery vetoed as too cruel. Yeah, the first footer was the only one of those metaphors that I didn't understand. Yeah. It's a Scottish tradition at New Year. Oh, dear. Fish wrote a whole song slagging off Marillion on his first solo album. Did he? And also featured Mark Kelly and the band's manager on the cover artwork, which he then got told to cover up oh, on no. subsequent pressings of the cover oh. artwork. So, Drama. <laughs> yeah. Meow. Oh, yeah. oh, it was all really, uh, at the time, yeah, they had, to, they had to stop recording at one point because the lawyers turned up telling them to stop. 
uh, H was uh, the only member of the band that was able to record. So he went and recorded some vocals and keyboards while the rest of the band had to sit on their thumbs until it got overturned. That is It was really, intense. yeah, and they were giving pot shots at each other in the press and stuff. So it was bitter. Mm. It was nasty. And this, yeah, I suppose it's a fairly restrained dig, but nonetheless, mm. it's a dig. And that, did you did you get that oh, dig straight away? I instantly got it. You, did you? And instantly I thought, he ain't 15 stone. <laughs> <laughs> I work in kilos, so I don't even yeah, know how much that is. He weighs is. more than 15 stone. <laughs> oh, you, you knew who they were talking yeah. Oh, you were defending his weight. Well, not defending it. I just thought, they don't know. Because I was probably... Did you feel, I was probably pushing 15 stone then. Did you feel offended on Fisher's behalf? Like, they can't talk about my fish like oh, that. Oh, really? I didn't care one way or another. I mean, I... I suppose I was a bit... When they they said things in the press, I felt that was a shame. That both... On both sides. Mm. But... It didn't really bother me. Like mum and dad arguing in front of the kids. No, it didn't really bother me. I thought it was just a bit, uh, you know, it's, they've had a falling out. It's what happens. Mm. It's very understanding and mature of you. I don't know. I just didn't care, really. I oh. don't think it was any understanding. I just didn't care. Just give me good music. Yeah, I'd probably I like care. the gossip. I'd probably like the tea. <laughs> it's like, you know, keep slagging each other. But they were also, they were uh, limited by what they could say as well because of the various lawsuits floating around. Various versions I read was that Fish wanted 50% of the publishing, uh, that he wanted the name. I heard that version. I don't know how true it is. But all this, lots of, these Fish got heavy with them. And I think they, and Fish was pissed off because the record company said, no, we want Marillion's album to come out first. So oh. even though he had finished his album first, Oh, which yeah, I can understand help. him being annoyed by that. Yeah, but we're not talking about Fish's first solo album this week. We may be next week. Right, so uninvited guest about AIDS. Uh, H drinks some lyrics to make it funny, apparently, so that was good. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what you want in <laughs> Wait, which were the funny bits? Well, I've told you the, I don't know, the that you, cuckoo in That you ran away and blew on the biggest regret of your life? Was that funny? <sighs> Is that funny? Is it? Is that funny? Is this funny? <laughs> this is awful. I'm next, sorry. I'm next time they this. play this, I'm going to stand in the front row with my arms folded and go, Is that going to be funny? Is it? Is that funny? Is it, H? <laughs> and, and you can fly to the other side of the world. Is that funny? No. <laughs> Just cancel and delete everything I'm saying. I'm on a stupid mood. On a stupid mood. I'm your New Year's resolution. That's, that's not funny. <laughs> None of this is funny. Put some puns in. Uh, I'm the face you hoped you'd never see. It's not funny. <laughs> I was there when you said insincere I love you. The woman who wasn't the one. That's not funny. Let's move on. Yeah, moving on. Come we've, on. We've lost it. Yeah. Talk track. Season's End. That should have had a question mark after the name. Season's End. Ooh. Little grammatical quirk about Season's End. There mm. isn't an apostrophe in it. I was about to say that. So it's saying Season's in general end. Not mm. not a, se- a specific Season's End. Ominous. Isn't yeah, it? well it... 
Well, okay, you, you, you start. I'll start. Okay. I like it a lot. I can really hear present day Marillion in the echoey, melancholic guitar. I love the emotion in H's voice. As a song, it grew on me. Like the first time I was listening to it, I did kind of zone out for a bit. I don't know why, because after listening to it again, I'm like, yeah, no, it's fantastic. I really enjoy it. One thing that I noticed is that there was a real spaciousness in the music, like it had breathing space. And that gave the song quite a unique kind of atmosphere. Almost the opposite of some Fish era songs, which were so dense. Interestingly, when I looked at the lyrics, I, it was shocking because it's, it's an eight minute long song. Mm. There's very few lyrics in yeah, it. Yeah, but that's because the last three minutes are instrumental. Well, yeah, but I was going to say that because I, I, um, I don't know, I read a quote with them saying that, 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 that last three minutes or so is just them faffing around in the studio and it's like, oh, we don't know how to play this when we do it live because they just made it up. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, but I remember around curious. the time of, of Fish leaving, Mark Kelly, as it, it's always Mark Kelly, let's face it, complaining that they'd have written a nice instrumental bit and Fish would come in with new lyrics to go over it. That is hilarious because I've actually written here. Um, so I wrote, I love the instrumental bit that starts around the five minute mark. Um, there's like a subtle bass heartbeat in the background. And it it just, I don't know, it's so lovely, but it's all about the music. Mm. And it sounded like this song was kind of putting the music at the forefront. Yeah. yeah. More than the lyrics. And it felt like the band, to me, it felt like the band going, ha, huh, we can do this now. Yeah. It's it's the f- longest uninterrupted bit of music on any Marillion album ever. Is it? Up until that point. Well, I think oh, so. Oh, up until that point. Yeah, okay. the, the second longest was the two-minute intro to, to King of Sunset Town. Yeah, interesting. Because, I mean, but com- then you said that they'd written a lot of it before H coming in. There is. I mean, H is singing. Yes. point in the background yeah. but it, it's used as as atmosphere yeah it's faded at the yeah. end it's kind of faded it's almost like his voice is another instrument it's not over mm. it's not louder than the instruments it's not put above them it's kind of part of but them. it's one of those things that i think him being a musician brings to the band yeah that he they can go well let's do let's let's enjoy the music for this bit it yeah. doesn't have to just be be barrage of words yeah absolutely not that brothers goes full gilmore here it's it's he's very much doing marillion's version of comfortably numb at the end i think oh. <laughs> he, he's yeah alive that but it's that, so nice like it's such a bold statement to be able mm. to do that like we're just going to chuck in three minutes of instrumental at the end of the song but it sounds and, like marillion again yeah even though it is that yeah it, it feels for me, it's refreshing because it feels like Marillion and, again, the music, as you say, to the forefront mm. here. And that music has always been there, but Fish dominated. And you're talking about space. It's The music has a chance to breathe on this album. Yeah. And rightly so, because it is very much Mark, Pete, Steve and, and Ian's album. It is. I've just had a thought because I remembered on one of my first listens of Clutching at Straws, 
wondering where the music was almost mm. sort of it it seemed so eclipsed by the lyrics he dominated he dominated i remember fish. thinking where is it because misplaced mm. childhood felt like it was a good balance and a good yeah. meld of the two but fish Whereas always clutching at straws at least for me it felt like the lyrics and the singing dominated fish always risked that though because he was such a powerful character yeah he and he dominated not just on albums and on songs, but in interviews and public perception. And H, I've said this, I think, before, but I think it took him until Marbles to to really claim ownership of the band. And in early shows that I saw with him, he, he seems really tentative and like he's the guest at someone else's dinner party yeah you know mm. he doesn't seem fully comfortable and relaxed and it took him a while to get there i think and i i i'm gonna say it again i think that it was the right way to approach yeah, it yeah. because imagine someone coming into your house and then acting as if it's their house yeah and he didn't well it doesn't seem to me like he did that i wasn't there at the time no. sort of coming in and being a bit tentative at first and letting everyone get mm. to know you at their own pace, letting them come to you and not forcing yourself upon them. I think that was the smart choice. And long term it was because I think H, the current Marillion audience and fan base loves him in a way that I don't think Fish ever had that same love. He had hero worship perhaps, but H is loved by the audience and the rest of the band are as well now. Uh, whereas before with eight, with Fish, there was a sort of remoteness and distance with him. As we've sort of said, he wore masks, literally, but he was also quite an intimidating figure. Mm. But but H, because as well these days, especially lazy, he has his, wears his heart on his sleeve and he's very emotionally open when he's performing and, and the songs he writes, that... People have, have come to love him over time. And mm. yeah, he and that, wasn't that in your face. Has, yeah, that love has organically grown and developed and strengthened. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he's absolutely adored now by the Marillion fan base. So season's end. Is it about how we're ruining our environment? Yes. Okay, One of the, the kind of first sort of green anthems that I think any band wrote. They got it wrong, of course. They're saying it would never snow again in England. It did. I think it barely snowed, I th- does. I think it snowed that Christmas. Oh, no. <laughs> it was like, well. Did you write a letter to them? I did. Stiff letter of complaint. No, it, it's a John Helmer lyric. The, the story behind it, it's actually quite lovely. Apparently, Steve Hogarth once asked John Helmer what it was going through his mind when he wrote it. And he said a year ago, he... Uh, read a headline that said it might never snow again in England. At that point, his wife was expecting their first baby. He'd got this image in his mind of something he'd once seen, a mother holding her baby out in the street, the baby catching snowflakes in his hand, and he suddenly thought, God, that might never happen for me. Oh. So it's it's But it's all a, a song. bit real at the moment. It's a song, yeah, I was going to say. It's just become even more real as the years have gone by. Exactly what I was about to say was that it was ahead of its time. No one listened. No, um, they're still not. Still well, not they're starting. Some people are starting to listen. Yeah, let's hope they listen. Please save the planet. Yeah, everyone, just come on. We're all going to die if not. Yeah. 
And our children and grandchildren. They'll never see snow. They'll just see flames everywhere. So John Helmer wrote the lyrics. Yeah, to Helmer. Oh, I thought they were really beautiful, especially when he said, um, we'll tell our children's children why we grew so tall and reached so high. We left our footprints in the earth and punched a hole right through the sky. Yeah. It's a lovely lyric. It is. As I say, he's it's, a great yeah, lyricist. I lo- yeah, I love the song. He, he wrote some really lovely songs uh, for them. Um, to watch the old world melt away, a lost regrets could never mend. Yeah. You'll never miss it till it's gone, to so say goodbye. I know, that's so sad. Well, it is, because it's very real now. I know, it's a bit scary as well. Yep. Well, very scary. But as a song, it's it's one that I didn't love at the time, but coming to it again now, I've really warmed to it over the years, because I've seen it live many times. I love it live. Live, it really works, especially that the instrumental outro. It's not really an outro, but the instrumental second half, and mm. they have all the lights going round, and it it it's almost trance like when they play it live now. So that was the end of side one. Oh. Let's skip ahead. Okay. Let's flip the vinyl over. Flip. flip. Flip the CD over because we're going to talk about After Me, which was on the CD version. So we didn't flip CDs. It was a did joke, oh. dear. <laughs> You had me questioning reality for a minute. And that's where we're going to leave it for this week. We thought this was going to be one episode, but as it turns out, we talk too much. So the album is now going to be split over two. So that's side one covered and H's introduction. And now we shall bid farewell until next week when we shall continue with side two and more thoughts on this early H era of Marillion. So thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Please tell your friends about us. Check us out on Twitter at Beampod, on Facebook at Beampod. And stay safe. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.